about four or five years ago, I preached a sermon at that fellowship conference in Denton, and I have not preached it since or preached it anywhere else. Now, preachers can obviously preach a message once in their life. They don't have to replicate it. But as I brought the exhortation on Wednesday that I brought concerning faith and I read from Mueller, I feel that this is so fitting. And I want it to characterize my own life. What you have to recognize is not only are you folks coming upon a season that I think is going to test your faith, going to test George's faith, but Ruby and I are coming into a season where I feel like our faith is being challenged. We don't know what's ahead. and But I know this. I know that whatever is ahead, I want to walk by faith. And I mean the real living stuff that you find in the pages of Scripture. Not just, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus is real or whatever. Not, not just this kind of shallow, we can assent to all types of things, but I'm talking about what you find in Scripture. Now, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, because I want, I want us to read an account here that I think is applicable to our lives all the time. And every single one of us have to be confronted by passages like this. Listen, we are told in Scripture various things, but like this, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Now, that was Paul writing to the Romans and saying before then. So 2,000 years ago, Paul was saying, hey, Romans, whatever God wrote had carried men along to write in former times, that's for your instruction. Well, now we find ourselves looking back to actually what was written to the Romans, what was written in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John what was written in our New Testaments as being written in former days. It's for our instruction, but not just that. It goes on that through endurance, the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. You want to grab those words, endurance, encouragement, hope. That's why things are recorded for us in Scripture. You remember what John said? John said, these signs... I've written about these. Now, the world couldn't hardly contain all the books that could be written of all the things that Jesus did. But I've recorded these things. Specifically, gospel events are written so that what? We might behold who Christ is and trust Him and believe on Him for who He is. That's what John says. In another place, you have this. Luke said to Theophilus that he put together all of his historical accounts that he gathered together and gave it to Theophilus that Theophilus might have certainty that these things are so. So you just think about what Scripture says. These things are for our instruction. These things are for our encouragement. These things are for our hope. These things are for those reasons. They're, they're for our endurance. They're for our knowledge of who Christ is so that we might believe in him and trust that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And in trusting like that we have eternal life but that we might have a certainty that these things are so second timothy what does that say about scripture well all scripture we know it's profitable and what does it do it equips the man of god to be complete equipped for every good work that's what scripture says and so that's what this is about i'm going to take you to an account now this this could be said of any account that we find in the new testament all the way through you have to recognize God was very selective in what Jesus did. Listen, if the world couldn't contain all the books, and you've got to recognize the world can contain this book. In fact, this pulpit can contain this book. Which means that of all that Christ did, it's very limited, it's very exact. God has preserved for us the accounts that He wants us to have. 
that are going to be for all those things, our instruction, our endurance, our encouragement, our hope, that we might be certain, that we might believe that, that it would be profitable for us and equip us for every good work. So here it is. I want to dive in at Matthew 14, 21. Those who ate. So here it, we recognize immediately that this is right as the feeding of the 5,000 is coming to its conclusion. Those who ate, past tense. So this has already happened. We're about 5,000 men besides women and children. Verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So they get in the boat, they're out on the, the, they're out on the Sea of Galilee. While he dismissed the crowds, after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land and was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. They cried out in fear. They got to get this. And these guys are fishermen. And they were terrified. That's what it said. They were terrified. They cried out in fear. Immediately, verse 27, Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give me that wisdom that you promise for all of those who ask, not wavering. I ask you for that. Give me wisdom to handle this text right now in a way that will benefit these people to the utmost. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So here's the thing. If all those things that were written in former days are written for our instruction, for our endurance, for our encouragement, for our hope. You know, one of the things you can't, if all scripture is profitable, all scripture is meant to equip the man of God. You know what? One thing we can never say about any portion of scripture, including this one, is that Jesus walking on water and Peter walking on water have nothing at all to do with my life. You can't say that. You can't come to that conclusion. You got to recognize this is for us. So, Let's dive into this. In the beginning, I want to start to dissect and look at some things that might not have jumped off the page at you immediately. The first thing is the context. Now, what's interesting to me is this. The context is the feeding of the 5,000. What's so unique about that? The feeding of the 5,000, is that found in Matthew yeah, because that's where we're reading from, and it's obviously there. Is it found in Luke? Are you sure? Does Luke talk about the feeding of the 5,000? Right, who's positive? Does John talk about it? John chapter 6. Does Mark talk about it? Mark? All of them. It is the one miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. Now that's, I mean, that ought to jump out at us. So as we get a feel for things, get this. The one miracle that God wants all four of the Gospel writers to record for us, 
these guys, I mean, it's obviously significant. It's obviously one of his greatest miracles. These guys just saw it firsthand. They not only saw it firsthand, they picked up the remnants. Remember what they started out with? Two fish? Few loaves? Two loaves, a few fish? Which is it? They, they saw this. They went around with 12 baskets full and they picked up what was left over. You reckon? Now, look. One of the Lord's greatest miracles. Thousands of people are fed. You, you recognize that it says that there were 5,000 men besides women and children. That's what it says. I mean, rough numbers. You could easily have 20, 25,000 people. There, was a, there were crowds here. And you know what? They just had, they had enough food that you could put. A little boy had them. Enough food. It was his lunch. Enough to put in your hands. And Jesus fed thousands and thousands. If you were one of those disciples and you were getting into the boat, hey, think about it. Think what, what were they thinking as they hauled the boat out to the water? And it's like, what happened today? What did we just see? I mean, we picked up, we, we know what we started with. What were they thinking? Confusion? Glorious? Powerful? Questions popped up in their head? And see, one of the things about this was it ended so strangely. Now listen, you don't get this from Matthew, but you get it from John. Listen to this. In John 6, verse 14, when the people saw the feeding of the 5,000, the sign that Jesus had done, you know what they said? This is indeed the prophet with a large P. We talked to Muslims yesterday. They want, to, they want us to believe that he's one of the prophets. No, he's the prophet. And he's not only that. Listen to this. He's the prophet who is to come into the world. What, what prophet is that? Well, it's the one that Moses talked about. And we think, thought, look, you'd think you're one of the disciples and you're recognizing that the crowds, can you imagine if you're these guys? You've already been convinced. Remember? I mean, these guys, Peter, it's in two chapters, is going to say, well, you're, you're the Christ, the Son of God. Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to him. I mean, they, they're recognizing who he is. And for the people to start saying, he's the prophet. Can you imagine if these guys are going alive? They knew exactly what that meant. It's like the crowd is jumping on board. The crowd's really seeing this. You'd think it's a good thing for all the people to recognize who he is, not just to think that he's, that he's just a carpenter and that's it and that's all. They're, re they're recognizing this. And then listen to this, verse 15 of John 6, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So the thing is, the Jews, even the common Jewish guy that was there eating all this bread, this fish that Jesus just made to feed the crowds with, you know what even the common guy recognized that whoever the prophet is, he's also king of Israel. And they said, this is him. And they're coming to make him king. Now look, if you're one of these guys, weren't these guys asking all along, Jesus, you, you're going to take the kingdom now? You're going to set up your kingdom now? Weren't they asking that? Wasn't that the ex expectation of the Jews? And so here they come. It's like these guys, hey, this is, the crowd's on board now. They see it. Jesus is the prophet. I mean, we've known this, but now this is a really good thing. The, the crowds are recognizing it, and they recognize he's king. And so this is really good. And so undoubtedly Jesus should go take the throne in Jerusalem now, right? And they're just perplexed because there, there was something mysterious about Jesus. Of course there's something mysterious. The guy took a few, few loaves and a few fishes and he turns it into all of this. So there's something very supernatural. There's something very authoritative. There's something, but, but then wait. We've, we've recognized that this is the king. I mean, all the way back in John 1, he's already being recognized by these guys as being the king of Israel. And there the crowds are now saying it. Like, What's going on here? Why doesn't he go take the throne? Why, 
why instead of taking the throne and cooperating, does Jesus shut the whole thing down, send us out to sea, and go up on the mountain? It's just a, it, and it dismissed the crowds. It's, oh, the whole thing doesn't make sense. You can understand as they're getting in the boat and they're shoving off and they're going out and evening is setting in and out onto the Sea of Galilee they go. Like, wow, we saw, we saw marvelous things today. But what's with Jesus? I mean, the day's events are so wonderful and powerful, but it's also perplexing. Who is this Jesus? I mean, he just doesn't do what we expect. He doesn't do what he's supposed to do. Come on, he's king of Israel. Why is he reacting this way? Why is he, it's almost like, well, he's king. I mean, we called him king of Israel back in the beginning and he didn't deny the fact, but now when the crowd calls him king of Israel and they want to make him king, he doesn't want any part of it. Isn't that odd? I mean, Jesus doesn't fit the mold. And then, Here's the thing. So now they're going out on the sea. And isn't it interesting? I mean, the accounts that are reserved for us, preserved for us, of, of all the happenings of the disciples out on the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, doesn't there always have to be a storm? When is it ever calm out there? I mean, from the beginning to the end. We know it gets calm because Jesus makes it calm. But when do they ever just go out there and hang out on the Sea of Galilee and the weather's nice? And so, of course, there's got to be this storm that falls down. And, you know, you might think about thunder and lightning, but it really doesn't say that. It, it basically is a windstorm. And I know the geography over there, and there's reasons why that, that wind just comes down like that. But you can imagine the wind, and they're rowing against the wind. So this is really hard. These guys have been going at it for a long time, all the way into the fourth watch, which is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So they've been going, because he sent them out there before evening even had descended on them entirely. So they've been going and going and going. They're rowing against the wind, and it's really difficult, and the wind's hot. Can you imagine rowing out there? You're not sleeping. None of them are sleeping. The thing is, I mean, the, the, the sea can be a fearful place when it's, storms are fearful, let alone if you're out on the water and there's no place to hide. There's no place for shelter. You're just exposed to all of it. And all of this is going on. Of course, it's 3 a.m. or between 3 and 6 and it's dark and they've been going and they're weary and they're exhausted and wind is howling and the waves are huge and the boat's rocking all over the place. And it's like one of these guys is staring off the back of the boat and it says they're suddenly terrified. You can imagine that you typically don't look off the back of the boat. You typically are looking at the way you're going. But one of the guys is in the back. He's probably, maybe he was sitting looking to the back. Maybe he was rowing that way. And you can imagine, they stopped rowing because one of them said, what is that? And they look out there. You know what the word is? The word for ghost in the Greek, it's the word phantasm. It's a phantom. It's coming across. These guys are, these guys are sailors. These guys are fishermen. These guys have been out on that water for their whole lives. And it says they're terrified. I mean, what's happening? Something or somebody is coming, floating across this water, and now the whole thing is crazy, and they're terrified, and they're in all of this, and they're exhausted, and it's in the middle of the night, and they know there's no light out there. It's pitch black, and something is coming across the water. They have no idea what it is. I mean, imagine it's walking on the water. This is surreal in itself. And then what happens? Everything just changes. And Matthew comes in and says, immediately, a voice, this sweet, familiar, steady voice comes to their ears over the howl of that wind. And you know, it was loud out there. When you get in the wind, take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. And the thing is, if you swing the camera right over and look at Peter, isolate him in the boat, you can see that in the mind. There's 12 of these guys in there, and bang, look at Peter. Because Peter was with the rest of them, absolutely terrified, in the midst of the wind, in the midst of all of this. And the moment, immediately, Jesus said, it's me, be of good courage. Flash that camera right on Peter. 
It's like he doesn't skip a beat. And you know what happens? It registers with him. I know that voice. Scripture says that, right? The sheep know his voice. Peter, I mean, it's the Lord. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. And what's the answer? Come. The voice didn't. Here's one of the things that I want you to grasp in this story. This is for your edification. Jesus didn't say, Peter, that's really stupid. Come to me. I mean, you know what that's going to take? That's going to take you walking on water to come here. He didn't say, Peter, that's silly. What a foolish notion that was to pop into your head. Why don't you just wait for me to get over to the boat? But you know, Jesus has come. That ought to jump out at you. Now, Matthew describes what happens next. Look at Matthew 14, 29. So Peter got out of the boat. Now, you, you might want to stop right there. You know what? In John, you remember the situation in John where they were fishing? They fished all night. And there's Peter, or there's Jesus walking on the beach. Remember that? And John says to Peter, it's the Lord. You know what it says? Peter threw himself into the sea. Now, you know what's interesting about that? Right here, Matthew says Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. You know what? Peter expected to walk. That's what was in his mind. Command me to come to you in the same way you're coming to us. He got out of the boat and he walked. You know what? You throw yourself into the water when you expect to swim. You step out of the boat when you expect to walk. He wasn't thinking, command me to come, man, I'm going to swim to you. That's not what he meant. Command me to come because I want to come to you the way that you're coming to us in a way that only you can command. Everybody knows how to swim. Well, if you know how to swim. But that's not supernatural. That doesn't really take the command of the Lord. And you know, the, you know, you know what's ridiculous about the whole thing? Is he walked on water. He actually did it. And it, I mean... Can you imagine the other 11 guys sitting there? I mean, terrified. Jesus, immediately, be of good cheer. Peter, Lord, command me to go. Come. He gets out and he's walking. It's like these guys are watching this whole thing happen. It's, it's, th things are getting more surreal by the moment. And you know what? We're so used to the story that sometimes the ridiculousness of it all doesn't even hit us. The supernatural mounts up in this story in a way that somehow, if you know what? We're familiar with the account, so we read over it. But do you realize these guys are rowing along? They've just come off a day when literally, probably tens of thousands were fed. And they picked up the remnant. And now they're out here. Why didn't Jesus want to become king when they all wanted to make him king? And then this wind, and it's like, this is crazy. And then here's this phantom walking across the water. And then, I, I mean, think about it. Jesus is walking on the water, and then Peter's walking on the water. And then they watch Peter walk over to Jesus, and they watch him sink, and then they watch him come back up because Jesus extends his hand, and now the two of them walk back. And you know what it says? The two of them got in the boat, and all of a sudden, when they got in the boat, guess what happened to the wind? And you know what John tells us? I mean, to get even more ridiculous, immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. It's like, what are these guys thinking now? I mean, can you imagine these guys, what they were thinking before? What, what are they thinking now? Can you imagine it? Here came Jesus. There went Peter. Here comes Peter. Here comes the Lord. Wind stops. Bang, the boat's at the shore. Anybody thinking maybe they were thinking something? And then there's this. Something else jumps out at me. In John 6, when they got to the shore, it says this. 
that the people, when they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? You see, they're seeking an explanation because you know what? If you read the John's account, you know, you know what happened? They saw that there was only one boat there and they saw that the disciples left in the boat and then these people, they walk around to the other side. Well, actually what happened was other boats came, they got in those boats and they went across. And when they got to the other side, Jesus was there. And they're like, wait a second. There was only one boat. Jesus didn't get in it. All these other boats came after the fact. We got in him. Jesus wasn't with us. We've sailed directly across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. We got here. There's his disciples, and there he is. We saw him go up on the mountain. How in the world did he get here? That's what they're asking. And the, the thing about all of this is, listen to John. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them. And listen, he doesn't answer them. It says he answered them, but he's not answering them about their question. Isn't that typical of Jesus? He gets a question, he answers, but it's not their question that he's answering. Truly, truly, I say to you, nothing about how he got there. I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And now, that jumps out at me. Because, can you imagine... If you were Peter and you just experienced all this supernatural and these people say, how'd you get here? And you're one of the disciples and you're just thinking, hey, Jesus, tell them, tell them, tell them you walked on water and tell them we just, you got in the boat and we are immediately at the shore. Tell them. Because I mean, come on, we all get excited about the miraculous. You got to believe these guys did too. And it's like, Jesus doesn't tell them a word about it. And yet he immediately goes to the feeding of the 5,000 and the fill of the loaves. And so what, that, what jumps out at me is this. Why is he silent about the miracles that happened during the night, but he's not silent about the miracle that happened with the feeding of the 5,000? And the thing that jumps out is because what happened there on the sea wasn't for the crowd. It wasn't for them to know. It was for them to know about the feeding of the 5,000, but it wasn't for them to know about the walking on the water and all that happened. You know who that was for? That was for the disciples, and that's for us disciples here too. It's, it's specifically for us. Those miracles were not done for the sake of the whole crowd. And so here's the thing. What is the purpose of all this? What are, why is this given to us? What's the lesson? Is it teaching us? Oh, I hate to hear this. I hate this. Well, we just shouldn't be impetuous like Peter. Shouldn't be presumptuous. Shouldn't be like that. Is that what it's teaching? Is it teaching us not to be impetuous like Peter? That we ought to be much slower in jumping out of the safety of our boat? Is that what this is all about? Be very careful. Don't jump out of boats too quick. Is that what this is? I doubt it. Listen, the emphasis is not Peter sinking. The emphasis is found in these words. And I'll tell you how I know this is the emphasis. Matthew 14, 27. This is the emphasis. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Well, how do I know that's the emphasis? Because all three synoptics tell us about Jesus walking on the water. John doesn't, but the three synoptics do, and only Matthew tells us about Peter walking on the water. You know what the primary, do you know what Luke and Mark show us? The primary emphasis of this story is not Peter walking on that water. It's the fact that Jesus says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. It's not lose heart when it comes to getting out of the boat or you'll end up sinking like Peter did. This, this isn't primarily about Peter's failure or about Peter's faith. You know what it's primarily about? It's primarily about the presence of Jesus Christ. Taking heart and being of courage when Jesus Christ is there. That's the idea. I'm here, guys. Be of good courage. All three accounts hit this. Only one of the accounts even cares to bring Peter into the story. The emphasis is this, that when Jesus shows up, things happen. 
That's the idea. A believer walks on water, not just at any place and any time, but at that very place and at that very time where Jesus shows up. That's the issue. That's what we need to get. That's what this is all about. If you say, no, 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 it's not about that. It's not teaching. It's not teaching me that when Jesus is with me, I can do the impossible. Or I can walk on water. I can do the. If that's how you think, you're just wrong. You're missing the point of this. This is for your endurance. This is for your encouragement. This is for your hope. Not just for those guys. It's for us. You don't want to reject this. Look, Jesus came. And what happens when Jesus came? The water obeyed him. He walked on it. It held him up. Liquid water is not supposed to hold you up, folks. Anybody realize that? And, and then Jesus not only told the water to hold him up, he told the water to hold Peter up. And it did. And when he said, winds stop, it did. And when he said, boat, go to shore, it was. When he said, turn a few of these loaves and fishes. By the way, it's two loaves. Five fish, right? When he said, feed 5,000 men plus the women and children, they obeyed. You see, that's what this is all about. This, and, and the thing about all of this is that Jesus came. And when he came, he said, take heart, take courage, be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. And Jesus is saying, when I arrive, when I'm with you, folks, you're good. When I'm with you, you're good. That's the idea here. And, and you know the thing about all of this is none of this was lost on Peter. Because the moment he heard that voice, all that familiar voice, what did he do? And don't criticize Peter. The very first thing he does is, is something that none of the rest of them did. I mean, yes, yes, if you look at his life in total, I recognize he didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. He was ignorant about the significance of that. I recognize that. Did he fall asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane? I recognize that. Did he deny the Lord three times? Yes. Was he impetuous? Yes. But I'll tell you this. He's the only one who trusted the Lord enough on that night to get out of that boat. The only one. He wasn't showing off. He wasn't being presumptuous. You know what happened? Peter heard that voice and confidence grabbed him. Do you see that? Jesus, and I'll tell you this, Jesus never faulted Peter for getting out of that boat. The only thing he ever faulted him for was looking at those waves and doubting. He never faulted him for getting out. Brethren, what's my point? Listen, presumption. Oh, we so fear it. I don't want to presume upon the Lord. That wasn't the issue. Peter, you're so presumptuous. Command me. Or command you to come to me. How dare you, Peter? You're, you're just being overly presumptuous. We, we so, especially Reformed people, so tend to fear. Oh, no. We dare not put God to the test like that. Listen to this. Jesus never said, why are you guys so, Peter, why are you so presumptuous? Why do you trust me so much? Why are you guys so overconfident? Did they ever get blamed for that? You know how they got, you know how Jesus talked to them again and again and again like this. If God so clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you a little faith? That's Matthew 6, Matthew 8. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. This was another day out on that same sea. When he was asleep in the boat, you remember that. Matthew 16, Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Matthew 17, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. You see what the opposite is? We tend to fear presumption so bad when, in fact, Scripture seems to emphasize that we ought to be stepping out of the boat in faith. That's a good thing. That's not the presumptuous thing. Unbelief is our major problem, not presumption, folks. 
when he saw the wind. Here's, here's what happened to Peter. He was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Here's the question. See, this is for us. This is for our instruction. Here's the question to you. As you sit in your little boat, looking over the side, what do you feel? I mean, do you feel God's more concerned about you staying in that boat and staying safe? Don't dare presume upon God and get out of that boat. You, that would be presumptuous to get out of the safe place. Oh, you did ye get out of that boat so foolishly, trusting him to help you in some crazy endeavor for his namesake? Or is he more concerned that we actually get out and we trust him? What, is it? what do you think? What do you think God is more concerned about? That we be too timid lest we get out of the boat? Or we're all overly presumptuous? Do you know what the boat is? I mean, I think about our boats. You see, this is, brethren, this, these are spiritual lessons. What is your boat? You know what the boat is? The boat's a place of safety. The boat's where you don't have to trust the Lord. The boat is where everything works according to natural principles and natural laws and no faith required. It's all by sight. See, when you're in the boat, the boat, it, it obeys the laws of nature, the laws of buoyancy. It stays up there. It can hold so much weight. Got so much displacement. You can explain it all by science, by physics. See, it's the place where it's all explained. You can't explain Peter walking on that water. You see, you get out of the boat, suddenly you're in the realm of the supernatural. You're in the realm of, you can't really explain it by physical laws. Boat, that's, a, you know what the boat is? The boat's where you are. Where you're never going to walk on water. It was like I was talking about the other night. Remember I told you about Pat Horner? Pat Horner could have put the $20 in. And then he's gotten out of the boat because he has no gas to get home. If you weren't there the other night, here's the story. I had a pastor, $20 in his pocket, drove three hours from San Antonio to Houston to go to a conference. It was one night. He had only enough gas in his car to get to Houston. He had $20 in his pocket. They brought out a five-gallon bucket. They said, let's send this guy to the mission field. Pat felt led to give it. He threw it in the five gallons, knowing he had now had nothing to get home back to San Antonio with. And as he was walking down the middle aisle, somebody came up and put, squeezed $20 into his hand. You see, from the time he threw that money in that bucket, he was out of the boat. You see, the boat is where he would have stayed had he not given the 20. The, dope, the boat is the place of safety. It's the place where everything is rational and predictable. The boat, it's a place of security. It's the place where, oh, get this. You ready for this? When you compare the different accounts, let's, let's Tell me what you think about this. Just listen. You don't have to turn to these. Matthew, it says, 1433, and you're there, so you can look at that one. Those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. In John 6, don't turn there, but listen to this. Verse 21, then they were glad to take him into the boat. So when he comes back with Peter, so... He gets in the boat. Matthew says they worshipped. John says they're glad. Guess what Mark says? Catch this. Mark 6.51, he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. Listen to this. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You know what that tells me? Put all three together. Tells me we can have people in this place. You can worship. You can be glad to be among God.
God's people. You can be glad to have a sense of the presence of Christ here and worship and sing the songs and take the Lord's Supper and yet have hearts that are hard and not willing to trust Him and get out of the boat. You see, if they would have understood about the loaves, they would have understood some things about that water. They would have understood things about walking on the water. They would have understood about it being great when Christ is there. But you can have all of them, worship, gladness, and hardness of heart. All together, beware. There's probably somebody ready to say, hey, whatever the story means, we can go to Hollingsworth Lake. Is that what it's called? We're not going to walk on it. Brethren, this, this is in the same category with, I can say to that mountain, be removed and it be cast into the sea. Brethren, which is harder to say, rise up and walk or your sins be forgiven you. You see, the whole point of these things is we need to understand them to mean what Jesus meant them to mean. What does it mean to say to the mountains, be removed? What is it? Listen, which is easier to say? Water hold me up if I walk out on Hollingsworth Lake? Or to tread scorpions and serpents under your feet, to crush Satan under the sole of your foot, to crush your sins that so easily beset you under your feet, to put the world under your feet, which is easier. Brethren, which is easier in the face of this dark and dangerous world to say, I'm going to step out of this boat and walk on the waters that hold me up to take the gospel out into these dark nations and make disciples of all these nations? Which is easier? I mean, brethren, the point is this. To tell Peter to walk on water or tell you to walk across all the enemies and all the battles that you're going to fight. I fear some of us, some of us don't walk on the water for one simple reason. We're just too afraid to jump out of the boat and trust the Lord. And listen, I'm talking about your safe places. I'm talking about you just think it's too radical. Well, you know what? You, you talk like that. You sound like my lost stepfather who he came and he told me that I should go out with this girl he was trying to set me up with. And I said, no, Dad. I said, I am waiting for God to bring me a wife. And he did. And that was worth the wait. And the thing is, I told him, Dad, I'm looking for the Lord to do this. I'm not going to walk by sight. I'm not going to walk the way the way the rest of the world does. And he says, you know what? Religion is fine, but you've taken it too far. And you know what? We've got too many people, and I'm talking sitting in Reformed churches, thinking they're really good Calvinists and they got proper doctrine, but they won't get out of the boat. Why? Because when it comes to the end of it, yes, they can spout out things about election, but trusting the Lord is so foreign. What are you doing with your money? What are you doing with life insurance? What are you doing with health insurance? What are you doing with money? What are you doing with your lives? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with evangelism? You know how few people actually on a regular basis get out of the boat and actually go to the city center either yesterday or in the... <clears throat> Brethren, there was a time when, when maybe 12 or 15 of the people from the church did, but then what happens? Well, it's easier to be safe. It's always easier to be safe. It's always it's easier to be comfortable. It's, Brethren, and the thing is this, the thing that you got to get is the fact that when... When it's some crazy thing like getting out of the boat, walking on the water, Lord, command me to come to you. Jesus, like I said before, didn't say, well, that's silly, Peter. You know what? He was altogether desirous that he do it. And immediately says to him, come. I mean, he just he can't get away from that word. And not just willing, I find something really remarkable in Mark's gospel. Listen to this about the fourth watch of the night. He came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. Ever read that? He meant to pass them by. And I've often thought, that reminds me of Luke, where you had the two guys on the road to Emmaus, and it specifically says this about, he acted as if he were going to go further. You remember that? And it's, but, but he acted as if he was going to go further. The thing about Mark is it says he meant to pass them by. 
And it, he intended to do it. He intended to go. Isn't that amazing? He's walking on the water. He full well knows where they are. And he intended to go right past them. That's, to me, that is absolutely amazing. How's that sit with your ideas of sovereignty? It's like, no, it was predestined before the foundations of this world that Jesus was going to do that. Of course, he had to be doing his God's will, his Father's will. And so you can't even talk like that. Yeah, but that's the way the Bible talks. It talks like he meant to pass, he meant to pass them by. The feeling I get is that perhaps at times Jesus might intend to pass me by. But why won't he? What would be the one reason why he wouldn't pass us by when he meant to pass us by? Maybe because we have a need of him. Remember what the song says? Lord, while on others thou art calling, please don't pass me by. You think it might come from this portion of scripture? You know what? If you don't need him, he may pass right on by. But he always stops for the ones who need him. Have you ever found that in Scripture? Nobody ever called to him in need, and he just passed by. Oh, but you get the feeling blind Bartimaeus would have been quiet. He would have just passed by. Brethren, are any of you in such desperate need because you're ready to jump out of the boat? You see, when you're in the safety of the boat, you don't really need him all that much. 10,000 reasons not to get out of the boat. Why? Well, it's wavy out there. I mean, there's wind out there. It's dark out there. This, this, the Sea of Galilee is deep. There's all sorts of reasons not to get out of the boat. That water out there is scary. It's probably got an undertow. It's going to pull me under. It's going to suck me down. I'm going to be like Jonah and better be wrapped by the reeds, and it's going to be bad. This is not going to fare well for me. I'm going to be pulled under. What are the things that come up in our minds? Why can't we get out of the boat? Brethren, I'll tell you what the big thing is. Well, we don't have enough money. Well, we're too small. I'm too scared. The Muslims are too scary. The homosexuals are too scary. I've got other things to do right here in the boat. You know, you can knit in the boat and you can make things and you can whatever. But... I, well, we'll just sit here. You know what a, you know what a lot of Reformed people do? Oh, we're just going to sit here in the boat and, well, you know, we'll get out if it's God's will. God's will be done. That is such a gutless prayer so often. It's just people who are afraid to do anything else. God's will be done. They sit there in the safe place and it's a, if he wants me to get out, he's just going to have to do it. He's going to have to make it happen. You know, that's what they told William Carey. Well, if there's going to, if there's going to come a revival to India, well, God's going to do it. You don't have to go over there. You don't have to force this. But see, he was ready to get out. In fact, you know how he likened it, going down in the well. He didn't call it getting out of the boat. He could have. But he called it going down in the well, and he was expecting other people to hold that rope. I mean, after all, you know, you can't get out of the boat. The liquid molecules, they're just not going to hold my feet up. I mean, this is, defies all science. This defies all rationality. This isn't going to work. Scientifically speaking, this just, it's not, it can't be done. This lake is deep. This side of the boat is high. I mean, this, this whole endeavor is doubtful. I mean, aren't you amazed? Let's hear Peter. Lord, command me to come. <laughs> it's, it, don't you love that? Hey, here's the question. This is a question I think I ask myself and I would ask you. If you were in the boat that night, would it have occurred to you to say what Peter said? Or would you have been like the other 11, just kind of a spectator? If, listen, we always like to identify with the heroes of the story. We always imagine if we were there, well, you know, maybe, maybe you don't, maybe you're being honest. But listen, here's what I would say. If you think, or at least wish, that if you had been there that night, that you would have been the one to pipe up like Peter, you know what I would say to you now? Ask the Lord now. Because you, listen, this is for your instruction. You, you have boats. Ask the Lord to command you to get out of them now. You that don't regularly participate in the evangelism, 
Ask God to pull you out of that boat of safety. You that, now you're kind of hoarding money a little bit beyond what seems like the Lord taught. Ask the Lord to command you to come out of that boat of safety. You had too much laid up, too many stores in this world, too many, you know, the things that we trust in. A lot of times we're just afraid. We're afraid of the unknown. Lord, command me to go into the unknown. Oh, I, I'm headed towards the unknown right now. Lord, command me, command me down the path that you want me to go down. That's the thing. There will always be difficulties. Yet, you know what? When it's God's will, there's always dark, stormy seas. There's always something that's going to test the faith. It's like, you know, when I was just down in, in Ryan's church and preaching at the fellowship conference down there, you know, there were giants. Joseph, he had to be thrown in jail and test the whole thing. I mean, dream, you know, is that going to come true? All the other stocks and all the other stars are all going to bow down to me. And it's, you know what? Joseph got tested. Why? Years in prison. Abraham, his, his wife, she was barren. Israel, there's got to be a Red Sea in the way. See, that's God's way. Some people think, oh, well, you know, if it's hard, can't be God's will. Whoever taught you that? You didn't get that from God's word. God likes to put obstacles in the way. Too many Christians interpret God's providence this way. Well, if there's difficulty, that's God telling me to interpret God's providence that that's not the right direction. I better go in another direction. But you know what? Bunyan realized it. All you have to do is read Pilgrim's Progress. Here was a hill of difficulty. You know, the exact way he wasn't supposed to go was around it. Right up there. That was God's way. And listen, if you get out of the boat, let me tell you something. You will have sinking spells too. None of us that get out of the boat are not going to be like Peter, where at times we're going to distrust. But you see, the thing that characterized him mainly was that he walked to Jesus and then he walked back with Jesus. Was there a little fit? Was there? But what I like to call it is the slow sink. And see, I find that incredibly encouraging because, listen, Look at something, Matthew 14, 30. If you're all still there in Matthew 14, just look at this. Two words that jump out at me. Beginning and verse 31, immediately. I mean, I love that. And and if, if, if you heard when, you know, years ago, who knows who Bear Grylls is? Anybody ever heard that name? See over here, yeah. He's, you know what he did? I think he was special forces here in Britain. And so what he would do was he would go into wild places all over the earth. And one of the times they took him to Scotland in a blizzard. So what he does is he gets put in these real harsh environments and then he shows you how to survive. And they're filming it the whole time. And so here he is in Scotland during a blizzard out in the moors. And he's showing you how to survive. But see, he always has to take it the extra mile. So he not only wants to show you how to survive, he wants to show you how to fall into a peat bog and get out and survive. Because now you're soaked to the skin and how are you going to make it with driving wind and snow and freezing cold? And so he comes up to this peat bog and it just it looks like this little pool. And he's there and he's telling you, oh, Sheep fall in these things and they're, they become bloated and they're down at the bottom. So he's making it really disgusting. And then in the end, he says, well, he said, I'm probably going to step in here. It's going to be knee deep and I'm just going to shoot right across this thing. He takes one step, boom, he's gone. He disappeared in there. And it shocks you. And I thought about that. If from the moment he stepped and disappeared, he wouldn't have got a word out of his mouth. Peter began to sink. Jesus immediately. You've got to catch that. 
Because even in his unbelief, you see who was in control of his sink? He didn't just disappear. He was sinking slowly, slow enough that he had time to say, Lord, help me, save me. And when he said that, immediately, bang, Jesus extended his hand. Wow, I love that. You know what that tells you? You get out of the boat, and all of a sudden you find yourself in trouble. When you do stupid things, and you need him to rescue you, even there, he hesitates the sink rate. And he's ready to extend his hand and bang. And what a simple prayer. Oh, doesn't that strike you? Lord, save me. Or Lord, help me. Do you know that's all that came from me when God saved me? And I, uh, we have a sister, Connie Rivera, back in the U.S. She said that was exactly the three words that came from her when God saved her. And I look at this and I just marvel because it's like, you know what? Jesus' reaction, Jesus doesn't say, okay, you know, Peter, I need sophisticated prayers. Seriously? Three words? Lord, help me. All, all one-syllable words? Three words? I mean, Peter, you offend me. None of that. None of that. Just slowly, he's sinking. Lord, save me. You know what? That is a good prayer for people who venture away from the boat. Lord, help. And you know what? He's faithful to do it. I just want to talk about getting outside the boat. What keeps you from daring to trust Christ more? I mean, think about where we're at. What keeps me from it? In fact, what would it even look like to get out of my boat? Our boats, our boats. We all have these places of safety. You know, Christianity. In fact, some people, it's just all about that. It's all about safety. In fact, that's what religion is. It's kind of the safety net. Got to keep me out of hell in the end. That's not what this is all about. Christianity is about getting out of the boat, trusting the Lord. Outside the boat, you know where that is? Okay, what keeps you from getting out? You know what? You know what? Some of these guys, Mark says, hardness of heart. You're just hard. Oh, you worship. You're glad. But you're hard. You're, and, and that hardness shows up in your lack of willingness to trust him. But you, I, brethren, I just ask you this. It's what I asked you on Wednesday. Where do you want your life to be lived? Where do you want to live it? Do you want to live it like Pat Horner and throw your money in and watch how God provides? Do you want to live in that realm? Or do you just want to be safe? I can't put it in there. Too safe. Too regulated. God calls us to a life where we just simply can't walk, where he wants us to walk unless he holds us up. That's what getting out of the boat is. I mean, do you want to dwell in the place all your life, the place of calculated safety? I remember when I was, what was I? Probably 11th grade, 12th grade. We have high school in the U.S. That would be a junior year, senior year, last two years of basically school before you go to university level. And I had this, I guess she was sort of an English teacher. Her name was Mrs. Drake. And I remember she asked this one time. She said, what kind of lives do you all think you're going to live? Do you think you're going to live the status quo? And she was kind of a crazy teacher. And I remember she made status quo out to be like this obnoxious thing that you obviously didn't want to turn out that way. But you know what that way is? It's where you're like everybody else. Oh, we have our own little differences, different color hair. We got the, the you know, all, all these little differences. But you know, when it really comes down to it, we're all virtually the same. But there's some people who aren't. 
and I've really been immersing myself in the life of George Mueller. He wasn't. You can read Hudson Taylor. He wasn't. You've got these people, and you know what? It doesn't have to be these people that autobiographies and biographies are written about. You can, you can find the simplest little ladies. Where do you want to live? You want to live in the boat? All safe and secure, all your calculations done. You got it all figured out. Is that where you want to live? You want to step out? Where? Brethren, one of the greatest proofs of our weakness is when there's nothing supernatural about us. It's like the watching world, they do everything about us is explainable. Well, they do all the same things. They do the same things with their time. They do the same things with their money. Oh, man, you know, they go to church and we go to our movies and we do our different things. But, you know, they're basically just like us. Is that what you want? That's not what I want. I don't want that. I have one of the greatest proofs of our weakness, brethren, is when people can look at us and there's no longer anything terrible or mysterious. It's when God is doing things that the world simply can't explain. His problem is we've been explained. So much of religion today is just, it's just what we do. We come here, we do stuff in our power. God isn't in all of it. Brethren, stepping out of the boat is to step into the realm of the supernatural, into the realm of God. It's, it's in the realm where you just simply don't survive unless God is for you and undergirds you. Because that's what was happening out there. Brethren, we should intentionally, this is what I was really wanting to press George with on Wednesday, but we should intentionally take our churches and take our own lives, take our families down paths that, that demand more than our money can do, more than just our abilities can do, more than even our spiritual gifts and our natural talents mount up and Ah, we need, we need more than our, just our logic can figure out. Why? Because Christ is with us, the very one that spoke to Peter and said, take courage. Brethren, well, you know what faith does? Faith is never quick to say, we can't get out of the boat. We can't do that. We don't have enough money. We don't have this. We don't have that. It's too scary. Brethren, we, you don't get to the place where you say that's just too impossible, that's too big, that's too outrageous, that's too much, that's too far, that's too expensive, that's just overall too impossible, we can't do it. Brethren, I'll tell you this, I fear staying in the boat. Last thing I want to do is just live in the boat and die in the boat. Then you just shoot my body down the river in the boat and it goes over the falls. Who wants to live that life when there's a Christ that commands us to get Lord, command me. And he did. What do you want the Lord to command you to do? You're willing to trust him? Listen, this is what real saving faith is all about. I, and I've thought about this story. I thought about Peter reminiscing in years past. I can just see him, you know, in all of his travels. And yeah, of course, they travel a lot by foot and by ship and everything. But I can imagine him sitting beside the fire. I've thought of him just sitting there. He's already eaten. They've cooked it on the fire. He's just gazing. And you ever sit at a campfire? You just love to look in that fire. You can just stare at it all night long. And all your thoughts are going through your head. And you can just see Peter there. And he's just reminiscing. He's just deep in thought. You can almost hear those words in his ears again. Oh, you little faith. Why did you doubt? And Peter might have remembered that he didn't answer the Lord. What are you going to answer the Lord? I mean, what good answer can you give? I was just walking on water, and the Lord says to me, why did you doubt? Well, like, like I had some good reason? I mean, Peter recognized. He never gave the Lord an answer. He never responded. How are you going to answer? Why did you doubt? In other words, you know what he was saying? You, Peter, you never need to. Why did you doubt? There's just absolutely no reason for it. Not when I'm here. When I'm here, you can be of good cheer. Peter thought to himself about that water. Wow, I walked on that water. There was a firmness under my feet. And he knew it wasn't his faith that held him up. It was God that held him up. Something solid under that water. It just, it, it held him there. There was no ground. There was some unseen reality beneath that water. And the moment he got distracted, it's like the, the thing. But then even then, it's like I didn't go under like Bear grills.
He's like, I, I had time to, to look back at the Lord. And as I was seeking to say, Lord, help me, and bang, he just shot out that hand. I remember that being there in Jesus' presence, there was just such confidence. There was this tremendous safety, this freedom. Peter, why did you fear? You know, Peter thought to himself, I never did have a good reason for that. And that's where we're at. Listen, it's hard to get out of the boat because it's scary and it's uncertain. Your certainty has to be in Christ. And there's going to be obstacles. And when God calls you to get out of the boat, bank on it. There's giants out there. There's storms out there. There's red seas that have to be traversed. That's the way he works. Why? Because that tests faith. And have you ever read in James? That's what faith is for. It's for testing. And when your faith gets tested, what does it build in us? It builds confidence. Because when your faith gets tested and you follow the Lord and he comes through and he bears you up and the water holds you and you come and you recognize, wow, I trusted him and I went through that fire. I went through that hail. I went through that storm. I went through the difficulty and I trusted him through it. And you come out the other side and now the whole thing, your faith is increased. You put yourself in the way of, of the difficulty of walking on the water, of trusting Christ. And you know what? That just, that just so builds your faith and it gives you trust and expectation to get out of the boat the next time. And you know how it ends. I heard Paul Washer say one time, it's like coming up to a cliff and all it is is fog out there. And Jesus says, step. And it's like, I see the solid ground under my feet and there's just fog out there. And he says, step. And he said, you step and you find there's solid ground. Have you ever heard the story? The story doesn't end there. And then he says, step again. You see, we haven't finished the good fight of faith until you breathe your last and you enter the glory. The whole life is this way. Oftentimes he tells us to step and we step and we trust and it's like, whew, like I did it. No, you're not done. You took one step out of the boat, but he tells you to step again. And now there's fog again. Lord, I can't see where my foot's going to go. And then you step again and there's solid ground. And you say, Shoo. But you're not done. Brethren, this is the life he calls us to. You can't get away. Don't, don't try to say, Jesus walking on water, Peter walking on water, have nothing to do with your life. It has everything to do with your life. Everything. How did I go to 4.30? Did I start at 3.30? Or in 10. Well, that's good. We're down. Father, I want to I wanna be a boat getter outer. I'm afraid too much. I'm afraid of fear. I'm afraid of cowardice. I'm afraid of not trusting you. Command us to get out. Command it. Please. We ask in your name. Amen.